Hey, welcome to the Church on Boulevard Sermons Podcast, an extension of the ministry of Church on Boulevard in Richmond, Virginia. We hope that you'll find your time meaningful and that you'll live life to the fullest as we grow together. We're entering into our series uh, for the new year on the book of Matthew. And we're just going to keep digging into Matthew. We spent five weeks on the first two chapters right before Christmas or leading up to Christmas. And there's so much that Matthew has to teach us. Here's the way we're going to look at it. Um, I've titled this series. Let me go back a couple slides. Matthew's Field Guide. Because as I was studying the book as a whole prior to the winter series, I learned that most scholars presume that Matthew's gospel was intended to be like a user manual for discipleship. Discipleship is following in the way of Jesus. You're a disciple in the same way that we might think now of apprentices, somebody who learns the work of the master, learns the tools of the trade, and then takes them out on their own to live the way of the master in their life. Okay, the reason that that's so compelling to me is we're a church that's built on discipleship. The whole church is built on discipleship, but we really want to be that kind of church. We want to spend more investment on drawing close to Jesus and living our lives following him and practicing his way, even more so than some of the production or fanfare that can be part of church. So the first field guide lesson that Matthew's going to teach us this morning is repentance. If you could pick one life skill to be great at, repentance. Bar none. Bar none. If you could be a good repenter, if I could be a good repenter, we could make the greatest impact on the world. The ability to apologize when you're wrong, (laughs) the humility and freedom that comes with that, think about the type of person you would be. If you lived a lifestyle where you just didn't expect to always be perfect, think about how you would treat yourself and others differently when things don't go your way. And, and this is why repentance is so important. Because it's a lifestyle, not a behavior. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to see how we can become people of repentance. Because people don't, you don't just repent for something as a human being. Your natural instinct is not to repent. It's to dig your heels in and say, no, I'm right about that. There's an article published in Forbes a few years back. And it was written by a woman named Amy Anderson. And she's a business coach and on several, several boards. I tried to look up her uh, resume and she's on like 17 different boards (laughs) and really, really smart woman. She wrote a book on leadership and uh, business. So not a Christian, but this is what she wrote about leadership and business. She said, so often in business, I deal with people who believe that admitting they were wrong shows weakness and ineptness. The danger in that belief, especially, listen to this, because this is all of us in this room, whether you think so or not, especially for people in power or authority, is that it backs a leader into defending their poor choices, even when they themselves have come to recognize they were wrong. Anderson is saying that people who don't repent, who don't admit that they're wrong and then change, they end up harming themselves and others due to their stubbornness. Bar none, the best life skill you could ever learn is repentance. Every single thing flows from repentance. I do not like to say every and always very often up here, but when I get a chance, especially as a pastor, I will say it because 
I don't see how you can get through life without making a mistake. If you can, do not follow Jesus. You are Jesus, and we should bow down to you. Here's, here's the question we're asking when it comes to Christianity and Jesus. We're asking more, who gives us the best resources for repentance? Every faith and every philosophy that's worth its salt says that repentance is the way to live. But where do we get the unique resources to be people of repentance, not just repent as an action? Have you ever had someone apologize to you and you can tell they didn't mean it? It was insincere. That's because repentance was just an action to them. It's not wrong, not wrong at all. But you don't get the joy of the relationship when that happens. You can apologize to people all day long, but if you're cold and distant from them and don't really mean it, that's great. I'm so glad you repented. Please do not hear me saying, do not repent. Like you should, you should apologize. You should go through the motions. We, would, we live in a better world because of that. But if your heart changes so that you're a person of repentance, then your apology carries the weight of substance of character. So that when you apologize, you're apologizing and actually meaning it. And think about how that changes. Think about when somebody apologizes to you. When they mean it, what happens to the relationship? Joy, flourishing. Like when you're in a bad argument and there's true repentance, the relationship comes back together. You know what I mean? The relationship comes back together. And when there's not, you're like, great, I'm so glad you said you were sorry for that. But people kind of go their own ways, don't they? Yeah, so repentance is key. All right, that's the lead up. Now we get to read the scripture. We're going to Matthew chapter three, verses one through 12. We're really gonna camp out in verses one and two today. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, saying, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes were made of camel's hair and had a leather belt. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Imagine a man who eats nothing but locusts and honey. And he wears, what does he wear around him? Camel hair yelling at you, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, 
whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, we enter this new year expectant of your work in our lives. We want to be filled with that grace that flows from the wonderful cross. Some of us don't know what that means, and we're sitting in this room right now wondering how it makes any difference to our lives to repent to you. I pray you would teach us this morning. Teach us through your living and active word. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Repentance, the single most valuable skill you could ever have in your life, to be quick to apologize and ask for forgiveness. Literally, the word repent means to change one's mind, metanoia. Um, But here's the thing. In the Greek, and especially in the Hebrew word from which that Greek word is derived, shuv, there's much more oomph, chutzpah, to the word. (laughs) So we think to change one's mind, we think that repentance lives up here. But it doesn't in the biblical understanding. It's actually to feel remorse and be turned and converted into a whole new way of living. The rabbis used to say uh, the words teshuva, to turn around. And they said teshuva is best understood when you think about the word evoking the emotion of being lost in the woods and suddenly finding the path again. That sense of joy, that's what repentance should make us think of. To be people of repentance, then, is to be people of joy. And you cannot have Jesus without repentance because repentance requires humility. So maybe you're starting to see why repentance, that's the linchpin for all of life. You want to be good at anything. You want to be good at doing surgery on someone in the hospital? You need to be good at repentance. You won't won't get to that place and have the tenderness and the heart and all of the soul that's required to do that work well if you aren't a repentant person. If you want to be good at mathematics and actually make an impact in the world, you need to be good at repentance. Because there's no way that you're going to find a way to take that mathematics and actually infiltrate it into society and use it and leverage it for the good of all people. Unless you first have reconciled relationships, you can apologize, you can forgive, you can have a tenderness of spirit. You've got to have repentance for anything you'd want to do in the professional world. By realizing you're wrong and deciding to walk in step with what is right, that is the lifestyle of repentance. And Matthew tells us, that the primary message of John the Baptist was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we aren't there yet, but in a week or two, we're going to see that this is Jesus's exact message too. The gospel according to Jesus Christ is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's his gospel. And Matthew hems in this section of scripture with John the Baptist saying it with what we read today. And then at the uh, midway point of chapter four, Jesus preaches it. And what we're supposed to see is that John is the handoff to Jesus. John is the opening act. He's the opening band. And Jesus is the main event. And Jesus takes on this very same message. It is vital to understand, if you want to be a Christian, what it means to repent. 
Biblically, repentance is the way of life in God's kingdom. When we talk about living in the kingdom of God, if, if that's confusing to you, what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? John tells us right here, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why do you repent? What's your motivation for it? Because there's a kingdom that's within arm's reach. It's right at hand. And if that kingdom is real, then you'll repent. So if you want to learn how to live in the kingdom of heaven, you better get used to admitting that you're wrong, confessing your sins, and asking for forgiveness and forgiving others. That's exactly what he's teaching us. So who is John the Baptist? The scripture tells us a little bit. It helps us to know his, who he is in context. The fact that he eats honey and locusts means that John the Baptist is reminiscent of an Old Testament figure named Elijah. Elijah was always told in the Jewish context to be preparing the way for God, preparing the way for the Lord. He's the opening act. And John the Baptist, we're supposed to see right here in this text, is that guy for Jesus. What it's also supposed to mean is it's supposed to trigger in our mind that God is near, that Jesus is God. Because if John the Baptist is essentially Elijah, then the person that comes after him, that he hands the baton off to, that's the main event. That's God. So people are on their toes. Who's John the Baptist introducing? And we're going to find that out later in, in Matthew's gospel. But Matthew's setting it up here. And John the Baptist, um, he's out in the desert, it says in the text. He was likely one of, there were four different groupings of Jews at the time of Jesus. And uh, he was likely an Essene. Essenes were like the ascetics. Uh, think of him as a desert monk. He was holy, pious, maybe a little too rigid to want to hang out with on a Friday night. <laughs> maybe a little bit off kilter because he doesn't like to be around anything worldly. He was a desert monk. And so the people, it says the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who were the other groups, would come out to get baptized by him. Because think about it. Don't you want to get baptized by the holiest guy? Don't you want to go out into the desert where nobody is and this person who's really good at praying because you're not very good at praying can just dunk you in some water and cleanse you and you can suddenly go back into life and be on that high for, for God and live a good, holy life. And yet John surprises them because he says, don't come for my baptism. There's somebody much better than me. And it's his baptism that you need. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's his message. Here's the three things we're going to talk about this morning. The first two are relatively quick, and then we're going to camp out on the third one. And no one is allowed to make fun of me because this one's a little kitschy this morning, but I thought this was cute, and I wanted to work on helping make my sermons more memorable. So here are my three points. The kingdom is at hand, so admit you're not okay, and then prepare the way. The kingdom is at hand, Admit you're not okay, then go prepare the way. The kingdom is at hand. What does this mean? All right, let's look at the word kingdom. We're going to break this phrase into two sections, kingdom and heaven. Or sorry, kingdom and at hand. So the kingdom is at hand. Kingdom is anywhere that God has say and sway. Anywhere that God has say and sway. Bruxy Cavey, who's a pastor in Canada, 
who's recently come under some fire uh, for things, he says this line, and I found it very helpful. A kingdom is anywhere that the king has say and sway. So where does God have say and sway? This is all over scripture. I'm just going to pull Psalm 47, 2. It's on the screen. For the Lord most high is awesome. The great king over what? All the earth. And all there is translated all. It means all. It means everything. Every little detail of the earth. That's the biblical understanding. So where does God have say and sway? Everywhere. But Drew, there's so much sin and brokenness and hardship in the world, and there's trauma and natural disasters. What about our political system? Well, we're going to learn later in Matthew that in the realm of politics, God has chosen to not have ultimate say and sway for a time. Eventually, the government will be on his shoulders. But right now, God says, that's your responsibility. You see, God can be all powerful and all good, and he can give you responsibility for things. He can do that. You also have a kingdom. Your kingdom is much smaller, but you have one. And God can give you responsibility, and he does, because he loves you. And every single person gets responsibility for a kingdom, whether they turn to Jesus as ultimate Lord of their kingdom or not. Wherever you have say and sway is your kingdom. Dallas Willard says it's the range of your effective will, the range of your effective will, the scope of the things that you can touch and they move. Not just you have influence over. Not the people that you have used and abused so many times that you can manipulate them into something. That's not kingdom rule. Your direct, effective will. What do you have direct, effective will over? Where you aren't contorting, you aren't manipulating, you aren't abusing. What, what do you actually, that you can just have say and sway? Think about that for a second. It's very small, isn't it? It's basically you. <laughs> I, can, I can work on me. <laughs> but God has created you to rule and reign. God has created you to have a kingdom. And yes, for a while, there's areas where you don't have direct effective will. You have influence. And that's why you want the character of repentance, because you don't want to be a tyrant. Do you? Do you want to be a dictator of your kingdom? Or do you want to follow the great king and love people? You see, if we don't have a model, then we aren't going to know how to be king or queen of our kingdom. You need somebody to look to that's a greater king. And so do I. And God is that, and he says that you are made for that, and that's why, guys and girls in the room, you long for impact. The two core longings of the human heart, intimacy and impact. You want to be loved, and you want to be known. You want to make a difference, don't you? Man, we want to make a difference. Well, we got to be people of repentance. Your kingdom 
We see this right at the beginning of Genesis 1, 126. Then God said, let us make mankind. That is not sex, sexist there. <laughs> that is not necessarily even gender related. He's saying mankind, humankind, however you want to process that. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then in Revelation, it says in the future, oh, I pulled from Second Titus, I'm sorry. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. What does that mean? It means that one day, what happened in Genesis will actually happen for all of us. Those who follow Jesus, the Bible promises, and if it's true, and that's a big if, but if you come to the belief that it's true, you will one day reign God's kingdom with him. That's crazy. Your life has that much purpose that all the earth is yours in Christ Jesus because it's all his. That's what it means to be the church. In the meantime, we're supposed to be the people that model what the kingdom is supposed to look like. Act like you're the ruler right now. And one day when you are the ruler, you'll do your job well. Don't be surprised in other words, when you get to heaven, don't be shocked by what it's like. Start practicing now. That's why, you're ma that's why your behavior matters. That's why being a person of repentance matters. Because don't you want to be the type of king that is quick to apologize? Because wouldn't you want to be led by someone who's quick to apologize? So here's the problem. <laughs> Our kingdom's not that big. Our kingdom's not that big. Okay, hold on to that for a second. What does it mean that the kingdom is at hand? I've already hinted at this. We'll move quickly through this. I think we'll get it. But so often we think that God's kingdom is something that only resides in our heart, which we've seen from scripture is not true because all of the earth is God's, including your heart. Or some people think the kingdom is heaven or something that happens after we die. And that's also not biblical. The message translation of this verse says, change your life for the ki God's kingdom is here. I think that's getting closer to what the Greek means or the easy version, which I loved this. I had to click on this. The easy, I didn't know there was an easy translation of the Bible. The kingdom of heaven has come very near. In Hebrew thought, the kingdom of the heavens, basically there were three Structures, three stratified layers of heaven in Hebrew thought. And Dallas Willard teaches this. He was a uh, philosophy professor at USC, but also a master theologian and incredible author. And he says, of those three levels, the lowest level of heaven is the clouds, the birds, the air, the cosmos. And that stretches down to earth, which in scripture is God's footstool. Yeah, God's feet are right next to you. <laughs> The kingdom of heaven is right around you. Here's what that means. If Cody is standing right here in the corner and I start walking and say, man, I gotta go to the bathroom. I have a need that I need to address. Cody would say, Drew, turn! For the kingdom of the bathroom is at hand. <laughs> it's a very present reality that... 
<laughs> you could just say, your throne awaits me, my Lord. <laughs> what does that mean? Think about it. I know it's, it's silly, but, but this helps us because sometimes the, the Bible just feels so abstract and far off. It's really this simple. What happens when I then go into the kingdom of the bathroom? It's a reality that's always existed. It's always there. But I will enter into it, right? I got to step in and then everything changes. <laughs> I have all sorts of opportunities once I've entered into the kingdom of the bathroom. This is what it means for the kingdom of God to be at hand. It's right there. It is readily available. Here is another important point to realize. Jesus did not bring a new kingdom. The kingdom's always been here. Jesus doesn't bring a new kingdom. Why do we need to know that? Because you and I, if you are one in Christ, we are now Jewish as well. That's our heritage. It's very, very important to realize that. Because once we enter in to Jesus, we need to realize, and we saw this at the beginning of Matthew with the whole genealogy, we enter into a family. And so we have tons of people to learn from. That means the Old Testament is now our scripture. That means the Bible now has all this valid footing because the New Testament is all about Jesus. The Old Testament is all about Jesus' family. And it's about our family once we're in Jesus. Once you come into this kingdom, he doesn't bring a new kingdom. He brings a new way to accessing it. In the past, they accessed it by obeying the law and doing sacrifices and coming to God and rending their hearts before him. But the law never saved them. It was always living in the kingdom that saved them. And now Jesus says, you know what? It was so distracting to always try to keep up with the law and you could never do it rightly. So here's what I offer you. I live the law perfectly. I get crushed under the weight of the law, which you deserve, and I trade your sin and your breaking of the law for my righteousness, my perfect law keeping. And now the kingdom of heavens is as simple as believing that Jesus did that. This is why entering the kingdom is all grace. It's not effort. But living in the kingdom takes some elbow grease because we've spent so much of our lives living in our own kingdom. What happens when my two kids, Nash, who's seven, and Lux, who's four, are in the back of the car, and Nash is playing with his Legos, and Lux reaches over to grab a Lego, what happens? What does Nash say? <laughs> yeah, hopefully he doesn't hit her. Yes. <laughs> Get off! That's mine! He's learning kingdom. He knows his kingdom. That is mine. And what happens when daddy says, Nash, you need to share? I'm teaching him how to rule his kingdom. <laughs> so how are you going to rule your kingdom, the very little that you have control over? And do you want to do it by always reporting to the law and following the rules and the instructions? Have you ever seen someone that only lives, like maybe you've worked with a coworker like this before. They just want the checklist. <laughs> They don't even have to report to you. If you just work alongside them, they'll drive you nuts because they're like, but, but 
Not just like somebody who needs to know what to do next. Those are great active people. But people that like cannot internalize or process or make any decision for themselves. They're like, hey, tell me exactly what to do. I just want to do exactly what I need to do. And the manager is like, I want you to know what to do when I'm not around. I don't want you to just always need the list because then you're ineffective. You're in, you're, you can't do anything without me. A good supervisor, a good manager, a good coworker helps their coworkers, help the people that report to them learn how to establish their own kingdom. You want it, in other words, here's what I'm saying. You want it to be a lifestyle. You want the way of Jesus to be a lifestyle so that you're not always thinking about it. You don't have to go in the grocery store line and you're sitting there and you see somebody that might need a helping hand because they're, they're counting their cash they don't have enough. And they might just need you to lend them some money. You want that to be instinct. You don't want to be like, oh, shoot, I don't have my Bible with me. I have no idea what to do right now. You want it to be instinct. We want to be people of repentance where it comes out of us naturally. Okay. To repent is a lifestyle. So what is repentance? I'm going to use two words, two phrases that really emphasize two words. If it works better for you, the words are confess, conform. Can we say that together? I don't love to always say it together, but I think this is good. Confess, conform. Confess, conform. Let's say it again. Nash, can you say this with me? Confess, conform. I don't know why I did that. Confess. Admit you're not okay. Admit you're not okay. All right. Um, For the rest of this time, I'm going to use one illustration, and we're just going to poke at it a little bit. And that is going to teach us a lot more about repentance, I think, than just going through the terms. So I have a particular makeover show in my mind that I'm thinking of. You might have your own. But if you like watching these shows where people come into somebody's life, let's say their life is a mess, and this person says, we, we got to overhaul this. And the beginning of the episode, it's totally messy, right? They're like these guys converge on somebody's house and the experts come in and they take inventory of everything. And by the end of the show, this person hopefully is set up for success. They look better. Their house is cleaner. They know how to cook. They, they're, they're good with other people. If it's successful, and the show's always successful, in about 45 minutes to an hour, they have a complete life transformation. What those makeup experts and makeover experts have done is led that person in the way of repentance. That's all they've done. They've come in as the master, they've taken the student, and they've shown them how to go. Now, what's the first thing that they do? Well, okay, there's two things that the person has to do, essentially, to have any change in their life. If all the experts converge and the person is at their home and they're like, I don't trust you. I don't think I have a problem. You aren't really an expert. Well, one, they don't think that person's an expert. We'll get to that in a minute. But really what they're doing is they're not confessing. They're not going to change because they don't think they have a problem. They don't admit it. So the camera crew packs up and everybody leaves. Could you imagine if the first episode was like, ah, that one didn't work. <laughs> everybody came in and they were like, nope, we don't need to change. I like living in my pigsty. But then the second thing is then there's going to be some preparation that's going to have to happen. There's going to be some action that's going to have to be taken because their life isn't going to change if they don't do anything. Even if they see that they have a problem, if they just keep thinking about having a problem, 
they don't just have to re- like repent and confess, they have to conform. And repentance covers confession and conformity. That's what I mean by it's a lifestyle piece. That's why it's important to see that it's a kingdom because it's something you live into. You won't admit that you need help, that you're not okay, unless you understand that you're a sinner and that Jesus is the expert. I want to spend a lot of time on that. This is one of the biggest hurdles to Christianity for most people, but we're going to spend so much time on that over the course of the next few weeks. But for right now, that's what you need to understand. You need to understand that you're a sinner, that you need help, that you're broken. And you're not just broken. Your will is bent away from God. Why? Because God reaches over and wants some of the Legos. And he wants you to give them to this person over here. And what do you say? Mine. Mine. Those are my Legos. But, but I'm supposed to be responsible and have a savings account for my whole life. I need to have all the wealth built up and take care of my... Now remember, remember, plan, plan. Establish your wealth. But when God comes in and asks for you to give the Legos away, give them away. Because you might be the only person that planned well. And now God needs to use you to give the Legos away. Do you see how everything would change if people were people of repentance? We, have, we live in a world, I don't, I don't want to oversimplify, these, these are so complex. I am so not qualified to answer the big systemic problems in our culture. But simply because so many people say, well, the Bible's an antiquated book and I don't need something like repentance and I don't want to talk about sin and a threshing floor and judgment. I just like a God of love, just a God of love. If God doesn't have justice and seek out the poor and impoverished and expect his people to do justice in the world, then who else is going to train us to do it? Because we don't train ourselves to do it. You don't rule your kingdom that way. You know how I know? Because as soon as you get close to giving something away, what happens at the deepest part of your heart, even if you do it, right before you give it, you're like, should I hold on a little tighter? I don't know if I'm ready to give this away. And even if you've practiced a lot with generosity, you know what I'm talking about. There are those places where it almost like, begrudging and either you can give away and then rejoice and some of you have had that experience where you've given something away and you can rejoice (laughs) or you've given something away and you've kept score and that's not a life of repentance when you're like well they owe me now but that's how we live and that's sin i said i wasn't gonna spend time on it but jesus is the expert on all of that jesus is the expert on everything if you don't believe jesus is the smartest person in the world i mean he was god He's the smartest person in the world. He can teach you how to do your job. Literally. You can invite him into your workspace with you. You can become a repentant person at work. And it will transform the way you learn the skills that you need at work. Because you'll be quick to be wrong. Who are the best learners in life? Let's go back to our illustration, the makeover show. When the person is reticent, which usually they are at first... What do the experts do? They come alongside them and they say, hey, you got to rethink this thing. 
And hey, you're going to need to cook your meals a little differently because you're not going to be able to think well if you aren't feeding and nourishing your body well. And hey, uh, we got to clean up your room because seriously, you're never going to get out of bed if you're always sick because you got germs all around you all the time. So you got to clean up your room. It's a holistic change. And Jesus is the expert of all of it. And he knows the kingdom and you are a ruler and you have things to do and responsibilities to do and a, a job to keep and people to care for. And God needs you to clean up your house prepare the way. What was preparing the way? In the ancient context, preparing the way, there were no streets. There weren't paved roads in the ancient world. It was dirt and rubble. And roads, how did roads come about? People just walked on ground for a while. <laughs> and I mean, it was a lot of like dirty, dusty ground, so eventually it smoothed out a bit, but there were still divots where people would pull their carts and create little, and they just lived with it. They worked with it. They walked around the boulders. They pulled their cart around the boulders. They, they worked around the divots. But when a king needed to go see his servants, when he needed to go see his subjects, a king had too much power, too much of an entourage, too many people with him. He needed paved roads. So he would send heralds, messengers ahead of him that would say, good news, the king is coming and we got to prepare the roads for him. Break up the boulders. Fill in the divots. We're going to need everybody's help. We all got to do this together. We'll bring in some experts to help, but we need you too. You've got a job to play. And as you get more efficient and effective, we need you to pass on your skill to the next person and pass it on to the next person. They sent in the makeover team to say, we got to change some things around here. The infrastructure has to change. We have to prepare the way. But John the Baptist references an Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah who was preaching to the people and prophesying when they were in Babylon in exile. And what Isaiah was saying is, listen, we can't get out of exile with any ordinary king. We're going to need God to come get us. And so preparing the way meant you got to bring down the mountains. I mean, what, what's God's terrain? What's he going to walk on? He's not going to trip over like a, like a boulder as a pebble in the road. You got to level the mountains. You got to fill in the valleys because it's God who's coming. So that imagery tells us that God's on the way and you got to prepare that way. And it means a seismic change of your life. It means everything has to change. And you know what that means? That means God does not conform to the roads on your map. You conform your roads to him. If he is God, he doesn't come and you don't have the right to say, you know what, I want to keep that alleyway right there. I like sneaking out the back and uh, that's, that's my thing. So God, you can pave the highway and make that beautiful. I love walking up and down that beautiful highway. My goodness. But don't touch that alley back over there. You have no right to say that. If the king is coming, you'll die. The implication is you need a full renovation of your kingdom, not just a little bit. It's all got to be turned over. Repentance is not, God, I'm sorry because I looked at pornography last night and I masturbated. Repentance is not, God, I'm sorry because I was angry at that person and I lashed out in my anger. Repentance is not, I'm sorry, God, I went to work yesterday and I kept a little bit of the cash from the drawer. 
Repentance is, I'm the type of person that when I walk into work, I expect myself, remember, admit, I expect myself to want to take cash from the drawer. So I go in prepared. I've already broken down the mountains. I'm in a group that helps me, that helps me think through my problems together, that loves me. I've got a buddy on the, that I can text right on the side to say, hey, I'm tempted right now. I need your help. Boom, your kingdom is so different at that point, and you're living life so differently at that point. You are now suddenly a person, becoming a person of repentance, and this is why you need the church. You cannot have your kingdom reign without the reign of others, without everybody working together to fill in the divots, because it's not just divots, it's valleys, and we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and it's going to take a lot of work to get through that together because it's really hard. So preparing the way means that you confess and admit that you're wrong. You prepare the place in your heart. What does that actually look like? Let's drill it down. It means you're going to be terrified of yourself. It means you're going to get really terrified of yourself. Have you become a Christian and then been like, what was this all for? I just feel worse now. (laughs) I didn't think those were all sins in the past. And now suddenly... Everything I was doing was a sin because everything I was doing was for my own kingdom, not for God's kingdom. And suddenly you feel worse. Confession can feel terrifying. It's why we don't like it. But first, you have to understand that you need a greater king. And the next thing you have to do is you have to actually confess. Do you notice that weird part where John says, the axe is at the root of the trees? The trees in scripture are always a metaphor for living life that produces fruit. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, don't just act different. Be the type of tree that produces different fruit. Okay? The axe is at the root of the trees. If you look in your heart and you don't see yourself growing in fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you haven't repented. If you're not growing in those areas... You have not repented. And so you need your roots to be cut off. And you need to be replanted. See, it's a big problem to have bad roots. Because we've already seen that if you're in your own soil, your tendency is not going to be to be a person of repentance. You have to be in repentant soil, humble soil, nutritious soil. I've said this before around here, but roots do two things for a tree. What do they do? They anchor it, hold it in the ground, and they they get nutrients to it. What anchors you in life? What's anchoring you? What's so significant to you that if you lost it, you would feel like you no longer matter to the world? That, that, my friends, is God for you. That is your God. You see how hard confession is? Do you want to give up those things? Do you want to give up your family if that's what's God to you for the sake of God? Do you want to give up your job if that's what's actually God to you? You got to be really honest here. It's terrifying. And what nourishes you? Where do you go for that fix? I, uh... I have found myself using all sorts of things for my fix. I scroll through my phone. I get on Netflix. Have that extra glass of wine at night. Where are you going to get nourishment? 
cotton candy or a beautiful buffet with the veggies and the steak and the whoo that's confession and then here's the last part and this is where we're going to end the message and land the plane that is confession my friends and it's terrifying but let me tell you the good news conformity conform which I bet when we first said the words confess or conform, if I were to ask you which word bothers you more, most of us would have said conform is the word that bothers us more. I'm going to make us love this word. We are going to love the word conform. The Bible uses the word obey or trust or have faith. Conform means start to look like the makeover artists. It means start to carry yourself like the guys who have trained you and cared for you. Prepare does not mean follow the rules, as we said. It means let God be God. If you can flip the switch in your head and let him be God, then you will read your Bible and suddenly say, what does this mean for me today? How can I walk in it? And as you do, you'll say, oh, that didn't seem right. Or, oh, that didn't seem helpful. Or, oh, I think I misinterpreted that passage. And you know what? If you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit guides you back to truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does for you. So don't always worry about getting your Bible perfectly right. Just try to live into it, live into the kingdom, and let God work out your ways. Because if you let him be God, if you let him be God, then suddenly the thing that's anchoring you, I'm telling you, and this is sweet relief, when you no longer need your family, but you can love your family, because you aren't holding them so tightly to protect them because they're your anchor, you will see your life transform. When you no longer need your job because what you hold on for your anchoring is God and if you lose your job, it would be awful. It would hurt so badly, but at least you didn't lose Jesus. If you're that type of person, you know how you're going to work at your job? You know how you're going to behave towards your coworkers like a person of repentance? It's not going to be as hard to admit that you're wrong about something or to let somebody else go first. Man, there's so much freedom in that. And there's so much life change that can happen. Tim Keller says, the problem is we don't get sad enough nor happy enough. Most Christians aren't sad or happy enough. We don't let ourselves get terrified in confession. And so we don't know that we really have a problem. But then, but then we don't learn to come to Jesus. Listen to this. The word prepare, when he says repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Sorry, for is near is a verb that's in the perfect tense. We've talked about the perfect tense here. The kingdom of heaven is here and it keeps coming here and it keeps coming here and it keeps coming here. And you know what that means for you and I? It means we can always repent. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the one who ultimately bears this message, took all of your sin, all of the things that you still, even now, me, even now, I'm using anchors that are not God. I'm going for nourishment that are not God. My roots are in bad places. Jesus takes all of that on the cross. And what's the punishment of that? Death. We already talked about it. If you have bad roots, you're going to die. And Jesus gets crushed. For you and for me, that's what the Christian message is. You know why that's good news? Because theologians say there's double imputation that happens there. Your sin gets imputed or given to Jesus. He becomes sin, it says in scripture. He becomes that sin. And that sin gets punished on the cross. 
And then he gives you his righteousness, all the blessings. Your kingdom just grew. Your responsibility just grew. You're raising your children up. And suddenly you're doing kingdom work every single moment, every day. You make a decision at work not to lie to somebody when you wanted to so badly, but you relied on the strength of the gospel to do it. Did you know that your kingdom grew in that moment? It is no small thing. When addicts go away to rehab, they celebrate every detail. We got to do it. We got to celebrate every detail. Here's what conforming looks like. This is the closing illustration. You ready? I said we were going to live on one illustration, but I got one. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells this beautiful story. There was once a man watching a father and son walk down the road. And as the father and son are walking, the son is legally the son of the father. But at one point, the father grabs the boy's hand. He's just young. He's like five. And he lifts him up and he holds him in his arms and he gives him a kiss. He says, I'm so proud of you. And that boy just lights up. And he sets him down and he skips down the road with his dad. He was always the father's son. You're always God's child. But the difference between just confessing and then confessing and conforming, following after God, is that suddenly you have the experience and you will get this experience. The spirit will come upon you and you will feel God's love in your life. And that is going to change you and transform you. And the only reason God has the power to do it is because Jesus was actually God. And so when he was punished on the cross, he had the power and authority to give you his blessings. And so you are now held in God's arms like that. Repentance means you, yes, are filled with terror, but you're more filled with joy. You're more sad than you realized, but because you're honest, because you own your sin, because you're not the type of person that's running and hiding from it, you have the opportunity for the greatest joy. And then what do you live in? Teshuva, repentance, finding the path. That's where you live. The emphasis of the word repentance is on the rejoicing. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Church on Boulevard Sermons podcast. You can find out more about Church on Boulevard by going to www.churchonblvd.com.